This episode of the Good and the Bad and the Geeky podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com forward slash goodbadgeeky. Audible.com, over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Warning! The podcast you're about to hear is very filthy. We say naughty words you would use as an adult anyway. It'll cause you not to eat your vegetables, and your mom generally thinks it's a bad idea. Any moment of the show that has any similarity to the history of any person living or dead, real or fictional, to real events are entirely unintentional and coincidental. Unless we're specifically noted otherwise in the cast and crew credits, all celebrity voices are impersonated, and new celebrity has endorsed any aspect of the show. D4K Studios in Columbus, Ohio. It's the good, the bad, and the geeky. Hey everyone, and welcome out to episode 167 of the good, the bad, and the geeky. Originally uh, released the week of April 10th, 2012. I'm Nick Nitro, uh, and along with me as always... John Batane. And uh, we're missing our third member. We don't know where he is, but you know, anyway... Uh, DJ Me is here with us in spirit, which isn't really him saying much at all anyway, so I guess it all works out. Yeah. Um, so uh, we have a few things to get out of the way before we get to the meat of, the, of this week's episode, which is really cool. Um, first off, we want to just say a big heads up and thank you to TalkSuperstation.com, who syndicates the show. Um, and also, uh, uh, also a big thanks for the past few weeks. We've had some really cool guests, like uh, one of the guests that's on this week's episode, um, we just want to thank everybody, and uh, we didn't really get a chance to plug in the last few episodes, too, but if uh, you wanted to say something about some of the guests we've had, whether it be Kevin Beagle or uh, Barbara Bennett or like or Barbara Barnett, sorry, or like tonight's Ryan Johnson episode, um, please email us at goodbadgeeky@gmail.com or 614-364-4088. And the reason why this is very particular, uh, particularly important is because, John, do you know what next week's episode is? What would be? It would be Mailbag Day. Is it, is it really? It would be Mailbag Day, yes, next Tuesday, April 17th, <clears throat> Mailbag Day. I, I love Mailbag Day. Everybody loves Mailbag Day. It, it's like one of the best <laughs> days of the year uh, or the month. When there's a, if you think about it, how many days a year are Mailbag Day? It, it would just be, if it could be every day, though, it would be even better. Yeah, um, it would. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, again, contact us, goodbaggy.gmail.com, 614-364-4088. We will read uh, your emails, voicemails. We'll read your voicemails out on the show. That'll be very, that's very cheap. We won't play them, but we'll read them. <laughs> Jesus. I'm going to type them all out, and that's then I'll right. read them. Yeah, I'll take the time to type, to type out your voicemail, especially you, caller, with the five-minute message. We're going to hire a stenographer. That's right. You know, we, I actually, we do have, the show does have an unofficial stenographer. Did I say that right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anytime, if you, which by the way, John, this leads into an excellent segue. Oh jeez, I, I know you're going with it. I know, right? <laughs> if you would like to uh, buy the GBG app, you can see our wonderful photographer's work and some of our interviews. That I, if there's a PDF file there, it's because of our photographer Michael Walzer, who takes the time, listens <laughs> to our interviews, and uh, types everything out. So, um, and you can get that on Android Marketplace or uh, uh, iTunes for $1.99. Isn't that a steal, John? That's a that steal. is a steal. That's a, that's, that's a, it's a good deal, a wonderful good deal. Now, um, what but even though you're paying for it, it's not really stealing, so. That, that is true. You are buying it legally. You're obtaining it uh, uh-huh. through amounts of fair use and, and as, the, as a good law, buying steals. But just if you tell yourself if you want to steal it, just imagine that you're not paying $1.99. Or yeah. you can do that thing on iTunes where you can automatically say, uh, don't ask me again for my password where I buy something. And then when yeah. you click on it, it's like you are stealing it. Yeah, it makes you feel like you're stealing it. Exactly. There you go. Steal our app. This episode in particular is very cool. <clears throat> We're going to get right to it now. we got some of that plugging stuff out of the way. Um Okay, so John, maybe maybe you could help us with this. It would, mm-hmm. uh, 
all the people we've had on the show thus far, they're in the TV or film industry, but on a roundabout average, in terms of we've had full interviews or conversations with, what would you say their role would be in, in the industry? Um, pretty much they've all created like, you know, created a show, but so I guess what, what are they producers now or? Yeah. Yeah. So we've had Matt Nick, Bill Lawrence uh, on the show, uh, Kevin Beagle, who's the other co-creator of Cooper Stone. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and one of the cool things we've been able to do is we've had some actors on the show, um, which is, yeah, which is again, really neat, but We've been doing conference calls, which is we, we'll get a conference call emails from uh, studios, and they'll say, hey, we want you to uh, send this phone call with every fucking other publication out there, like Entertainment Weekly and whatever, and you get, like, one question or five minutes with them. And yeah. so when you've heard Elijah Wood on the show or Louis C.K., not C.K. Lewis, like, like I like to call him, and, uh, and, all the, and Joshua Gomez from Chuck, We've never really had an actor do a full show with us, which, so, um, what's really cool is we have Ryan Johnson, who's taking the time to, to do a full episode with us. Um, he's from the USA uh, Network show Fairly Legal, uh, which airs uh, Fridays on USA Network, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central, so please make sure you uh, check out that show. It's really good, and I will say, if you follow my reviews on Examiner and thus GBGpodcast.com, I was not a fan of the first season, and the character Ryan Johnson plays is a brand new character just for season two onwards to sort of retool it, and it's a, it's a, he he actually makes the show, I think, whatever I thought the show was missing, he mm-hmm. fills that void and makes it very entertaining. So, um, and the other cool thing is this was brought to you by the power of Twitter, um, yeah, Twitter. We've had two people now through Twitter. We had Matt Nix and and uh, actually, no, we've had three. Kevin Kevin has sort of agreed through through Twitter uh, a little bit yeah. too. But um, yeah, I mean, but this one came a little bit more out of the blue with Kevin. You know, we've had the, the Bill Lawrence connection. But so yeah, this was really cool. And uh, uh, I will give you a heads up, guys, before because what we'll do is we're going to take a break and we'll come back with the interview. Is that um, and this is painfully embarrassing, but. There was initially problems with Skype um, when I called him. And so I had to uh, – so you'll hear a bit of a conversation about how I'll act like I've said this. Because he did. He gave a wonderful – I'm assuming which is a wonderful, beautiful answer. It was a five-minute answer to a question I uh, asked. Yeah, and I felt so horrible. And literally, it was literally like eh, – it, 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 ah, that's how it sounded. <laughs> and at one point, I finally said, I'm really sorry. I have to hang up and call you back with my cell phone because I something's wrong. So, uh, but uh, we're going to leave every the, the, the ugly of the beginning of the call and everything else that came after, which is practically awesome. The guy was really awesome. He's a very big techno geek, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that, and of course, fairly legal. So, uh, right after the break, we'll, you'll hear from Ryan Johnson. Hey. Wake up. Go to work. Work. Come home. Eat dinner. Rot your brain out. Go to bed. Lather. Rinse. Repeat. Are you tired of an old humdrum life? Tired of things that just weigh you down and depress you? Wouldn't you rather just focus on things that are awesome? Tune into Nutty Bites. Find out what's awesome. Nutty Bites. Nimlast.org slash blog. Hey, you know what book I've not read in a while? What? Angels and Demons by Dan Brown. There's a few new ones I wouldn't mind having either. I'm busy a lot of the time, too. Yeah, that's why I listen to audiobooks on my iPod Touch. It uh, helps me stay in touch with the books I want to read and allow me to, you know, fit in between the rest of my responsibilities. That is why, for some of you listening to the Good, the Bad, and the Geeky podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. I was able to sign up and get a free copy of one of my favorite books. Catch me if you can. Hey, do they have uh, Horton Here's a Who? Let me check. Yes, they do. So if you'd like to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash goodbaggeeky. What's that again for the free audiobook? Again, that's www.audibletrial.com forward slash goodbaggeeky for your free audiobook. All right. Ryan, can you hear me okay now? I can. I can. I can hear you much oh, better. Oh, man. I am so sorry about that. I've never had that problem with Skype before when I've tried doing these interviews, so I do apologize about that. Um, yeah, you sound like it's, it's like you've gone from being like down the hallway and around the corner to like in the state next to me. 
Right. Okay. 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 <laughs> that's that's much better. Well, it, uh, yeah. uh, Matt was saying I sound like Darth Vader, so I, which ultimately I guess appropriate for for a geeky podcast, but at the same time not really good for the interview. So uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. No. No problem. No problem. So, and I, I do apologize. Uh, could you? Uh, I, I initially asked because uh, that whole initial answer you were giving was a little bit muddled. Uh, okay, you want me to my, start again? Yeah, if you could, I, I do apologize. And the question was, uh, you know, how did you bring the character to life from what was on the page to what ended up being on, on the screen? Hmm. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will, I will. Now, I'm going to do that thing where, I, like, I say it all again and pretend I've just said it, yeah, you know? I've yeah. done this <laughs> No, that's fine. Well, you know what? Uh, it, well, it's all part of the show. It's all it's all gravy, man. So just, uh, just do yeah, what yeah. you got to do. <laughs> mm. Um, so basically, um, where do I begin? Yeah. Okay. So I'll start, I'll start with sort of where Kate's at and how my character plays into her life and then what they were looking for, you know, Mm -hmm. as far as character's concerned. But, um, she's at a point in her life where she, you know, her relationship with Justin is on the rocks. And they had been on the rocks throughout the series. And I think that had been a challenge for the writers mm-hmm. because it, they set him up as the ex-husband. And so if the relationship's over, I guess there's that kind of candle thing that she's still burning for him, but it's it's harder to create conflict when it, it's over. And right. so so there's... And she keep, he keeps popping up and looking dreamy and handsome, and and she keeps wondering what you know what went wrong. And um, but it, I think it was it was sort of like all right, well, how does how do we progress from there? And so at the start of the next season, they they put it that you know she, that, that basically they're going to get divorced, and she um, she's just kind of going to sign the papers. And as that's happening, this this guy turns up in her life and he meets her in a bar and then they cross paths on a case and he is this kind of fast-talking, crazy trial attorney. And there's something about him that drives her crazy because he is so driven by the dollar and he's and he is a lawyer through and through in that he doesn't see any grey area. He just goes for the win. And so if he's behind his client or if he's working on something, he will find every and any angle to win the case mm-hmm. um, and stop at nothing to do so. Whereas she will, you know, she'll be worried if the person doesn't find out what really happened. And right. his attitude's always like, well, we're going up against the corporation. They, they, we, can't, we can't find the truth, but all we can do is go for the money and then that the person we're representing is going to feel like at least, even though they got screwed over, they've got a couple of million bucks out of it and we'll get a decent chunk of that and we can start paying off the debt that all your kind of um, morality has bought to this company because you're just hopeless at bringing in coin. And so that immediately creates conflict between these two. Right. And he's, he's very used to going out and, you know, buying martinis and flashing his black amex around the bar and women responding really well to that and she just finds that completely horrible um but with that they both have a kind of passion and they both have this kind of enthusiasm for what they do that i think that's the one thing they have in common they have very different ways of getting there but they both really have this enthusiasm for what what they do and they get up early and they go to bed late and it's all about work. And um, so within all that clashing between the two of them, I think there's this kind of worthy adversarial um, thing going on. And they really, and they can't get away from each other. And so I think, you know, things start to simmer deeply between the two of them. And then they start going in against, the state where Mr. Patrick or Justin Patrick, also known as Michael Truco, works, mm-hmm. and that's where you know the, the love triangle begins. And so it can it, it it fuels her relationship with Justin as well, and it brings conflict to that, and it makes that kind of more multi-layered. 
and it sets up this kind of juicy triangle between the three. But for what they're, what they're looking for in the character, mm-hmm. um, I think where a lot of guys were going wrong where they were coming in and auditioning for it was they were just fixated on the fact that this guy was a lawyer and they, they just couldn't get past that. And so they were, they were playing it quite serious and coming in dressed really sharp. And I think the more rigid that these actors became, the, the less interesting it was to fire opposite Sarah. Um, and also, this guy needs to be the polar opposite to Justin, who is very by the book and very serious and, and, and kind of moral code. And so when I saw it, I, I kind of I, I read the script and I, I, I just saw that this guy needs to be like a bull in a china shop. And so I, I just took a gamble in the audition and I, I came in and I, I kind of read the lines at a thousand miles an hour and threw the rhythm all over the place and picked things up and put them down and sat, sat down and stood up and, well, and it's paid off. Wonderfully. It's paid off wonderfully because I mean, your character is, and yeah, I, I guess I never really thought of it like that. I mean, the character in, 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 you know, in terms of the show is a bull in a China shop because he is disrupting how read and read run. Uh, mm. And, and I find that, but even you're right. Even your rhythm does feel a little bit uh, feels a bit all over the place, but it works for the works wonderfully for the character because you never really know exactly where he's going to go. Even though you do, it's a really interesting concept that he like, right like the whole thing where uh, you're technically telling uh, uh, Leonardo that uh, without you're actually trying to not say it without saying it. You're trying to say that hey, I am a partner at the firm, but you need to do all this paperwork for me just because I right. my yeah. And the whole thing where you're putting on that helmet and dancing around in the background. I mean, that cracked me <laughs> cracked me up, man. Like because it's so completely not what you I was expecting you to do, but it is. It's it's really bizarre. So yeah, it's right, and so. Yeah, and, and, you know, all the stuff with um, um, Mark Margolis' character, you know, out with the old, in with the new, you you get this feeling at Read and Read that there's, and especially with, with Virginia's character, Lauren, that there's this real sense of tradition, you know, and she would wear nice blazers and go to riding clubs and, you know, have, have lunches at places where you're supposed to wear a jacket and stuff like that. And Ben wouldn't, have the slightest clue about that sort of thing. And so he he also brings in this sense of like, you know, a, a newer kind of generation and and a, new, and a kind of less traditional way of doing things. And so that creates a kind of fun friction between um, him and Lauren as well because, you know, he just wants to bring in, he, he brings in some of his own weird and wonderful clients and, and it's it's less about oh Reed and Reed has this re- reputation that we need to uphold, and it's more about um, just bringing in the coin basically, and 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 bringing in some money. Right, and that's um, why they hired Ben in the first place was to bring him on as a partner. I mean, is to sort of save Reed and Reed because they're in financial straits. That's right. And one of the things I found really fascinating is, uh, which is even though Sarah's character Kate does you know doesn't agree with your methods. Uh, when you, when she's trying to mediate between you and uh, Virginia's uh, uh, character, Lauren, uh, about what's going on with the case, I think in uh, uh, two week, a few weeks episode where uh, you had a, uh, there was conflict between which client would we take. Uh, you know, Kate sided with your character, Ben, because you know if we're in dire straits of money, we should probably go with the side that's winning in this case, which would bring more money into the, you know. That's right. That's right. So it's sort of it's a real kind of shift in the firm because then also um, Lauren has to make that decision as well and it really goes against everything she's stood for in the past but she has to kind of accept that things need to change if if they need to move forward because Kate really spends a lot of time seeking out the truth and she spends a lot of time worrying if, you know, if, if whatever she's working on the results work in favour of her client feeling like they've 
they've found out the truth and found out, you know, what really happened and all that sort of stuff. And Ben just doesn't care. That's his gift. He doesn't care. <laughs> and and that's what creates such great conflict and kind of tension between them is that they often get stuck on these these cases together and um, she's busy figuring out, you know, if the corporation lied and he's he's busy figuring out just how much we can get out of them. Well, you're saying he doesn't care, but it brings up a more interesting question. Then why partner with Reed and Reed? Because the way that the first episode, uh, uh, Satisfaction, uh, for season two air, begins is that you're already sort of a major partner in your own firm or you're a high... Uh, right. Yeah, so why leave your own your own comfort zone and then go shake things up at Reed and Reed? Why do you think Ben would do that then if he, if he does... Or is it just to get to Sarah's character, Kate? But it makes it off that he doesn't really know they're in the same firm. Yeah, well, I think he's gotten to a point on his own pretending that it's, you know, Ben Grogan and Associates where it's really just Ben Grogan. I think everyone gets to a point where they need to expand. Mm -hmm. And he, I think it comes down to a couple of things. One is he really needs to expand because there's only so much he can do with his iPhone and iPad and, you know, um, office space that he's working out of. And so he needs staff and he needs people to work with. And that's, There'll be a lot of overhead if you if you just think about it basically. Sure. Um, but the other thing is, is he meets Kate Reed and she's banging hot, yes, and yes. she's ridiculous, and she is part of this really kind of suave and sophisticated firm um, that has a huge client base. Uh, and so I think he just sees he sees two real opportunities there. One, even if, it, if he doesn't realize it straight away, but one is that he's going to fall hopelessly in love with this girl. And it's kind of a good opportunity to be around her more. I don't know if he knows that straight away, but that's definitely what draws him to her. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, it's just a simple, it's just, it's a business decision, which is expanding his horizons and, and kind of, you know, even though he has his own ways and methods, there's sort of, there's things that Lauren has done with the firm and her, her ex-husband, Kate's dad, Teddy Reed, had, had created with the firm that if he buys into it, he can really um, utilise and take advantage of and and um, become a part of and, and bring his own kind of change too, but still, you know, uh, grow as 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 a as a businessman and a lawyer. Well, this sounds like a uh, this sounds like a question that I'm sure every actor who comes from the land down under gets. But for as well, I mean, even actors from the UK, how is it for you to when you do uh, the American accent? Do you prep up for like you know in advance for? Because I know I think Hugh Laurie just when he does House, he does. He speaks an American accent all the time because I think Stephen Fry came over to visit him, have lunch with him. He's like, "Oh, stop it, man! You don't have to talk like this. You're with your friend." And he's like, "No, I have to keep it up. If not, I..." So do you right. go in and out of it like that, or or? Uh, did you say Stephen Fry visited him? Yeah, well, Stephen Fry uh, and Hugh Laurie are such good friends. They did a show. Yeah, and- I know they did a little bit of Fry and Laurie back in the day. I know, isn't that That's a quite- great show? I love that show. <laughs> that was a really funny show. Um, well, it it's yeah. I mean it. It's interesting because I started, um, you know, my managers would send me, I, I met, I, I, it took me a while to get representation in the States and, and, I've, and you know, my goal has been that I've really wanted to work on American TV mm-hmm. and uh, I've done a lot of TV at home and, and it's just such a great opportunity to be able to do it in the States and, and so they, you know, over pilot seasons and different uh, kind of times of the year that, you know, auditions would come through in large quantities. And I would, um, from a fairly you know, fairly geeky way myself, set up at home a, a big blue screen and, and an HD camera and some lights. I would get friends over, um, different actors that I knew, um, and they would read opposite me and I'd just send these tapes across. Um, if, if I couldn't be in Los Angeles for small periods of time auditioning for things and just kept kind of chipping away in that regard. So I would be working from home doing different TV jobs 
or film or whatever theatre, um, and then sending these tapes across. And sometimes you feel like they can go out into space and you, you don't know if people watch them or not, but my managers are pretty savvy with that at, at following up and making sure that the right people have seen them. And, um, you know, I'd started getting decent feedback on things and and then a couple of times got really close to jobs. Um, at one time I got flown over to sort of test in front of a network for a role, again, as a fast-talking lawyer, um, <laughs> interestingly enough. And then another time... For a sitcom, they they tested my tape, which is where you, you sign your whole deal before you before you do your final audition. I heard um, that. Yeah, yeah, and so so it it just it just kept the faith alive for me, and so to to just keep trying with the states, and you know, pilot season's brutal. I did a pilot season in Los Angeles where you you know you're doing three auditions a day, and everyone's under the pump because they need the thing cast yesterday, and in the end. You know, it's always offered to the guy who's done three shows, or right. um, so that the, the odds are really stacked against you. You've got to, you've got to kind of wait for um, Josh, uh, whoever. Uh, you've got to wait for like famous actor four to say no. Uh, then they're desperate, and then they're reading, having another session where they're seeing another twenty guys, and then you've got to impress them on top of those 20 guys and then you've got to hope that they'll like you as an Australian you don't have your work papers and that they'll help you get over the line you know there's so much stacked against you um, but the feedback and the times I've come close it really kind of just just kind of kept me like okay no it is possible and, and you do hear everyone takes you know some you know Simon Baker Denny took well Simon Baker they call him now took seven years to get a gig in the States, blah, blah, blah. Right. So it just takes time. Um, and getting back to the accent, mm-hmm. most of my practice came from just making these tapes and watching myself back. And then my manager would say, it's not been, Ryan, it's been. Yeah, um, yeah. Or, you know, different little adjustments. It's not, it's not zebra, it's zebra. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so those, those sort of things help me kind of develop my own American accent. Well, that's very interesting that you say that, though, in terms of watching yourself, because a lot of actors um, are not keen on watching themselves. Right. So how does that work for you, then? Is it just something you do it because you have to improve? Obviously, and yes, you need to work, um, you know, and improve yourself as an actor. But at the same time, do you also then straight, like get focused on, like, maybe you put some pick something up and had a prop in your hand when you and when you should be focusing on how your accent sound. I mean, do you do stuff like that? Or are you still very self deprecating, I guess, in that regard? Um, sorry, what was that second part about the props? Oh well, you know, uh, I, I I've heard some actors say before they don't like watching themselves because they made a, a wrong choice, I guess is what I'm saying as an actor. Oh, I see um, what you're saying. Yeah. yeah so like oh it's hard, man. It's like, really hard. And you know, but but the thing is when I was sending all these tapes across is that I'd have to I'd have to kind of watch the takes back and go, oh, which one do I want to send? And so, because you want the best, that's the good thing about taping is that, or taping, as you guys say, (laughs) is that you, you have to, you have to review your work and figure out, you know, which ones you want them to watch at the other end. And so I got a little bit, uh, but then at the same time, you don't want to get too aware of what you're doing in the scene. You don't want to start thinking, oh, if I do it like this, it works because then you kind of get a bit self-conscious and, um, but, but you do have to watch back basically what you've done right. and pick something. And so it gets a little, it gets, it gets easier each time. Um, but getting to set and finally getting a job in the States, which mm-hmm. was, you know, fairly legal, um, and getting completely, you know, I always assume my first job would be, Okay, you, you've got you know you're playing law clerk four, um, and he'll have a couple of scenes each episode, and you know, or uh, maybe cop that gets shot five on CSI for one episode. Who knows? But this was like, no, you've just been thrown right in the deep end. You're playing the new love interest, and he's in a lot of scenes, and he talks not just a, a bit. He he says everything. Um, so that was that was a real challenge at the start because. You know, we can shoot 15 hours a day, mm-hmm. and 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 there's a lot of stuff said in the scene, and it's legal talk, and it and there's jokes, and 
Well, um, so TV moves very fast. It's not like film where you can take do like one scene over a week. You guys are shooting right. like constant, constant yeah. scene changes. So it's a very fast-paced environment for those who don't know a lot about TV production. Um, so that's right. And I was, I thought, oh, the American place, surely it's a little bit more luxurious than it is at home. And it is. It's a you shoot a little bit less in a day, but we're shooting uh, quite a fair bit of stuff. Like. Um, so yeah, like we, you know, we might shoot four or five scenes a day, and it doesn't sound like a lot, but it it is. Um, right. And so when you're in every scene, you get to a point in the day where you're like, <clears throat> where my, you know, the, the American accent's a real different placement. Mm-hmm. Um, like my voice is quite in the front of my mouth, and I'm a bit nasal, whereas. Um, the American accent, you got to kind of put in the back of your throat and uh, relax. Wow. you got to kind of drop it back. And so, you know, after a while, after a whole day of talking like this, all of a sudden I'd, I'd really start to feel this, this like, my throat would start to hurt and my oh, man. the back of my mouth would start to hurt. And that's when it had become a real challenge. And, um, and so... It took me probably, it's just, it was like going to the gym, you know, it, it just, it took me at least a month or maybe six weeks of just staying in the American accent to really let my, my kind of throat and, and larynx know it was okay to stay there all day. Um, and so even watching back the early episodes now, and I'm, I'm shooting the 13th episode today. Oh, wow. Um, Is that the yeah. season finale? Uh yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Very cool. Yeah, so we've got five days, six days left of shooting. Oh, wow. Um, but even even watching, you know, from six sort of onwards, Ben's voice finally arrived. And so, you know, I had two days to get ready for this character, and um, I've just... It, it, the, the first couple of episodes, um, I watch back now, and there's this real evolution of Ben, but it's... It kind of works with the plot because he turns up like the bull in the china shop and he slowly works his way into the firm and he slowly grounds himself and he slowly learns things from Kate and he slowly, he evolves as the season goes on anyway. So I can, you know, I've, I've rationalised it. I can kind of get away with it. But uh, the voice definitely evolves as, as the show goes along. Well, you, you said something uh, which I found very cool is uh, you said that you're you're a little geeky yourself, and uh, I knew right. you starred in Ghost Rider um, as... I starred, yeah, well, okay. as the uh, role of waiter. Well, okay, so, okay, <laughs> you know, I, that's a general term used, I guess. Yeah, yeah, as the waiter. Um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, but I mean that had to be least exciting because uh, were you a fan of the comic book of Ghost Rider or, or at all? Or? I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I, I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm I'm a geek in the form of like I I like computer games and I like uh, you know I'm into kind of Mac products and social media. Oh, so you're a a techno geek. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more. I'm a a little bit more in that field. My brother's got like a PhD that's tied up with computer games, and so I've always kind of been a geek by association. Oh. Um, yeah, and so, but but as far as the the comic books are concerned, that's kind of Baron Vaughn's well, Baron who plays Leo on our show. Uh-huh. He's always kind of bringing in these graphic novels, and he's trying to get me to be a comic book fan by association. And <laughs> he's he's just given me my first one called Incognito. I've heard of that, but I have not Ed read Brew it. Baker and Sean Phillips, and it's quite interesting, but. I wish I I wish I knew more about the comic world. No, that that's fine. Well, I, I was just I was just uh, pondering that because some people are either and, and you said you were a bit geeky, so I was just throwing out because that's that's the great thing about about being a geek is that it covers many different spectrums. It, it covers yeah, right. Comic books, movies, television, music, uh, uh, video games, computers, and techno you know technology. So um, absolutely. And, but I will say this in terms of graphic novels, if you ever get a chance, um, uh, Kick-Ass is pretty good. Um, Kick-Ass, I love the movie. But honestly, the movie is, I, I hate, usually it's the other way around. The movie is actually a little bit better than the comic book, but it's nice to see where wow. the comic book, I know, right? It's nice to see the, the, the graphic novel. And uh, uh, there's a book called The Waiting Place by Sean McKeever. Uh, I hope I said his name right. He, yeah, it's, it's like a small town, winter town kind of thing. It's just... Uh, people dealing with their life stuff and it's it's really good too 
Um, not normal comic book fodder, it sounds like, but it's actually very, very good. Um, okay, I'll have to tell I'll have to tell Baron about both those things because uh, yeah, yeah I, I actually I actually tweeted I tweeted a picture of Baron the other day. He was sitting there reading a graphic novel, and I just said the comic reads comics because he's uh, <laughs> he's an incredible stand-up comedian and fan of fan of comic books. So I didn't know yeah, he's, he's trying to he's trying to lure me into that world. Well, I, I got to tell you, if you get the right books, man, it, it's not that difficult. But there, the thing is, there's a lot of stuff out there that you can get sort of, uh, uh, you know, caught up in that might not be the best book. I, you got to find the best right. book that works for you. And again, if it does work for you, if it doesn't, no harm, no foul. It, it some of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. But, yeah. Uh, but, uh, well, well, you're you a know. techno geek. What What is your favorite? I guess video game. Do you play like computer games, like on the Mac, or do you play on like like Xbox, Wii? What, uh, well. You know, for me, it's all about Drake. Um, Uncharted, I think, is probably the coolest computer game I've ever played. Wow, awesome! Yeah, because I, I have a PlayStation Three, but I've not, uh, uh, I've not gotten a chance to play it. I know that makes me sound very—I don't know. The place you haven't played Uncharted? I know, right? I haven't played Uncharted. <laughs> I, I've played—I've uh, been to my friend's house who has a PS Three, and I've played Infamous, but I've not. I've not played Uncharted, and I, I feel like a very bad video game uh, aficionado, but I, I've not. I feel very horrible. Yeah, well, Un- Uncharted, the thing that I really like Uncharted about Uncharted is the acting. Like, the the, the performance that they, the, like, and if you, when you are unlock certain levels, it unlocks, like, extras where you can watch the way that they shot, uh, like, shot uh, different like the scenes and oh, wow. it, it's really interesting to watch because it's all motion capture where people, really? you know, they put balls all over them. And then basically it's just like an open space, studio space. And then they get the three different actors in and they kind of act out all the scenes and um, capture it and then, you know, put, put it together later on, but it's just the way that they explore character in Uncharted that I think is really good, and then in the third one, they go right back to his to Nate's childhood, and um, wow. you know, how how the two kind of leads met up, and um, Almost like Indiana it, Jones in a way, because that's the third it one. It is, that it one. really is. That's it awesome. is, it is, it is a bit like that, but it, but it, but then there's something about that kind of level of gameplay where you feel so connected to these characters that when you're in the moment playing it, it just it kind of it just adds to the overall experience. And I think that's kind of what's cool about where computer games are going is that it's you know, and that like things like that technology that the that the, you know Peter Jackson's developing with um, all of his films that are kind of now crossing over into the computer game world where it's just getting realer and realer. So the reactions are getting realer and the you know the response the, the kind of the way that the characters respond to different situations and the it it, it just makes the overall experience yeah uh, you know that much cooler and then like my brother's got he's got like the whole 3D set up oh wow um and so like I'll go to his place and we'll put on goggles and you know play um Avatar or something and goggles, glasses, but we put, put play Avatar and, like, it's just so cool having, like, you know, seeing some, someone holding a gun, but the elbow's sticking out of the screen at you. Yeah, that's... <laughs> just awesome. Well, what is the best 3D transfer you've seen at your brother's setup, then? Um, I, would it be you Avatar? mean as far as games go, like, in, that I've seen? In terms of video games or, or even films, even, too. I haven't watched a lot of film in in 3D. I find I'm just not that into film in 3D. I, I I I'm still not sold. The only cool I think Avatar did it really well, and I think Puss in Boots did it like brilliantly. I've heard Hugo is like one of the best uses of 3D, but it is but it was good. like it felt like Avatar came out and made you know more money than most countries have put together, and yeah. and then. The studios went, that works, let's do it, quick. And so they kind of oversaturated it, and now people are a bit burnt out, and they're like, I'm getting headaches, and, you know, I've got to wear the glasses the whole film, and my, my kid's sitting next to me keeps pulling them off, and 
and it, you know, and, and it just becomes this thing of like doing it for money's sake, as opposed to really making it part of the, enriching the story and making the story better and all that sort of thing. But I, I thought, um, as far as the games were concerned, I thought Batman. Arkham Asylum did 3D really well, and I thought the Avatar game did 3D really well. Did you like um, Arkham City, by the way? Uh, you know what? I've got it sitting here, and Baron made me buy it, and uh, <laughs> I shoot so many hours in a day well, course, that I yeah. really that I really haven't had enough of a chance to explore it. But from what I've seen, it's pretty cool. Now, uh, are you are you uh, do you tend to lean more towards the Sony PlayStation, or do you tend do you have an Xbox 362? And which version do you prefer to go lean towards? I guess I've got a 360. I've played a lot of 360. Um, Gears of War is probably, you know, for yeah. me the ultimate 360 experience. Um, I got Gears Three before I left. And I thought I was just going to be in the States for a month auditioning and I was going to go home and finish it. So that's waiting for me when I get back. Very cool. That is, I mean, that's just amazing. I, I'm, I, I'm so blown away by what they did with that Well, I, game. Especially the, the story, I think, really, I think, because the first game was all about, ooh, yeah, we're killing this, these big, ugly, nasty creatures, and it was really awesome. Yeah. And then the second one, like, a story kicked in. That was sort of the, that's right. the first one. And so then you're just like... I'm gonna to get to the third one, and so yeah, I, that's one of those ones where I, I have uh, I've just been waiting for it to come down a bit in price, and then so I could I could lap it up and and, and play the hell out of it because yeah, I I, I love Gears of War two, and and I went back and replayed the first one, and it's it's just it's all it's all gravy, you know what I mean? So yeah, and I love I love the idea of just being able to like shoot a guy half to death, <laughs> and then go up to him and turn on your chainsaw, and like rip his head apart. It's so much fun. Well, hey, I have something else for you. Being a video game aficionado, that you could you could maybe bust out on uh, on Baron, being he's a general comic yeah. book fan. There's a web comic called PennyArcade.com. Or Penny Arcade. Yeah, Penny Arcade. It's a web comic. It's a comic comic strip that's done online, and it's for video game fans. And okay. Uh, and uh, like, have you have you uh, being that you probably you know you have an iPhone or an Android? Do you ha- have you ever played Drawing with Friends yet? No, but Baron's playing it. Baron's playing. Well, okay. Well, see, there you go. And you probably you, you probably heard of it before Baron even started playing it. Well, they have a comic strip on there where they they do jokes like that, where it's like uh, someone mixes the game up a little bit by uh, drawing something else, like covering the whole picture, because it's like win, lose, or draw technically, and the other person has to guess what it is. Uh-huh. Um, and then like so the the word is it, it's cup. So but you would draw like a naked man, and he's holding a very tiny dainty teacup, and you have an arrow pointing to the cup. You know, and that's the. Oh, yeah, so it's sort of like it's sort of like Pictionary um, online. Exactly. Exactly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's cool. And Penny Arcade made the joke that uh, with that is like you know instead of point just instead of actually drawing the item which is an actual cup they would draw very profane things to uh, you know distract you from the cup. You know? Oh yeah. Oh that's funny. Yeah. I like that. Or uh, what's yeah, the right. Where you draw you draw boobs next to a banana or something, and it's a banana. You got to say banana, but. People, exactly. you got to see how far down the path you can take them before they get the word. Exactly. So if you're if you're ever a fan of video games, uh, that it's it's actually really fun. They've actually did one for Uncharted once, where apparently the AI, I think, in the second game, where they just kept re- there's a fire or something going on, and the AI just kept repeating the same thing or something like that, and it's the only thing they found wrong with the game was just that one scene where Drake, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and they just keep repeating. It's like we're gonna go get you, and it's like. Apparently the fire could, I don't know, there's something very, like, they, and that's the thing, they, for those who don't play the game, they have a long news post explaining, explaining the game and how they found to that point. I mean, it's, it's really funny stuff, if you ever get a chance. Penny, Penny-Arcade.com, yes, sir. And Baron would probably get a, a kick out of it, too, because they do cover, like, they had one a few weeks ago about Star Wars, and it, so it just doesn't cover video games, but nine times out of ten, it totally does. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah, the one other game that I really loved and finished quite quickly was a game called Bullet Storm. Did you play that? No, I've, I've not heard of that before. Bullet Storm? Yeah, it's, it, well, it was kind of a, it was like on the PS3 and it, it, it had a bit of a Gears of War look and feel, but mm-hmm. the, the cool thing was is you'd get like, you'd get points for kind of killing people creatively, <laughs> kill, <laughs> killing, like killing creatively, killing the, these kind of aliens and you, a little bit like, you were talking about infamous before, like yeah. you can 
you can suck the you can suck your enemy towards you. It's kind of like this charge that comes out of your wrist, like an electric kind of charge, and you draw nice. them towards you, and then it goes in a slow mo. You can kind of you can do a kick to their head and then shoot them a certain way, and um, nice. that's 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 a real hurt. That was a, I, I loved that game. I'll have, to, I'll have to look into that, man. Uh, it's called Bullet, Bullet Storm. Bullet yeah, because it kind of went under the radar a little bit. I'll have to, I'm running that down right now, so I can uh, Bullet Storm. Um, yeah, I'll have to. <laughs> well, I mean, it's going to be an. It's, it's this is going to be on the show, but again, because I'm going to write a cat. Yeah, because I like getting new games that you know, especially ones yeah. that fly under the radar. Because then, because you know, sometimes those are the real gems. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, real quick before I, I want to let you go, I, I, I saw, because I'm a big indie film fan, and I don't get to all of them all the time, but I know, and also I figured you might want to plug it too, uh, is you're in some films called All My Friends Are Leaving Brisbane and also a film called Juicy. Which, yes. Yeah, which I figure might be available on DVD here in the States. I tried looking on Netflix streaming, and I, I couldn't find them, but I figure they're actually in, in Netbox for DVD. Um, and you've been in both films, and they're both by Stephen Vag and Luis Alston. You maybe want to talk a little bit about that, and are you doing anything with them in the future, like when Fairly Legal goes on hiatus uh, here in, in a bit? That's very interesting that you say that, because I they just sent me their next script. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've worked with um, Stephen on a couple of shows at home. We did, a, we did a, a show called Out of the Blue and a show called... Uh, a, a kind of really long-running soap at home called uh, Home and Away, which a lot of actors come from, like Chris Hemsworth is Thor. And, yeah, well, um, Von Stravinsky came from that too, didn't she? I think she did. She might have done some Home and Away as well. She definitely did a show called Headland, which was kind of an offshoot of Home and Away. Okay. Um, but Stephen's, Stephen's a TV writer, and he is a theatre writer, and he wrote he wrote a really cool film called All My Friends Are Leaving Brisbane, um, and Brisbane, sorry, not Brisbane. My apologies. Brisbane. No, that's all right. It's, it, yeah, and uh, and it's basically about people who it's about lawyers again, uh, <laughs> and and just this, it's the kind of it's that feeling in your in your town where you're always kind of bummed out about the town you live in. You always think there's a better option. You always think that you know. If I could just do that, if I could get to London, it's such a big, great city. Mm-hmm. Brisbane's not enough for me. And it's that theme of, like, some people just need to get out to realize how good it is where they are, you know, and, and embrace their roots and embrace where they're from. And so you get to London and there's just it's just more subways and it's more um, public transport to get from A to B and it's more... The, the beers are more expensive and, and at the end of the day you're still sitting in a bar and you're still sitting around with a bunch of Aussies and you're still sitting around, um, you know, bitching about when you can take your next holiday. Um, and so that was a, that was a really, it, it's a really fun little film and it kind of resonates across the board and it's done, it's done, it's done well at different, um, film festivals. Yeah, that's what it looked like. Um, I was very surprised because I usually hear uh, of, of films from Australia and, and other countries on the indie circuit because of the film festival thing. And like, I, I remember hearing a little bit about uh, all my friends are leaving Brisbane, but I, I didn't hear it. It was one of those things I heard about once or twice, and then and then when I, I looked at it, I was like, oh yeah, I've seen the trailer for this. This looks, and so I've been yeah. trying to get my hands on it so I can watch it because it looks fantastic and Juicy looks really good too. Um, well, yeah, Juicy, Juicy's. Um Again, it's set in Brisbane, and this is a this is a kind of um, this is in Brisbane's where I went to university. It's it's in Queensland. It's a really beautiful city, um, and it's it's got a great kind of independent uh, theatre scene and a great it's, it really embraces the art, mm-hmm. um, and so it's a it, Stephen the writer comes from this world of of independent theater and it 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 pokes fun this this film kind of pokes fun at um the small world of independent art and just how clicky it is and how self-important it is and how how swept up everyone gets in their own kind of little world be it you know a, a cooperative theater on in you know the outskirts of brisbane or a major theater company in New York, at the end of the day, it all becomes the same nonsense and it becomes all the same kind of 
um, hierarchy and the same kind of um, bullshit, basically. <laughs> and so, and so, it's 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 Romy and Michelle's high school reunion set in the Independence Theatre scene in Brisbane, and these two girls make a pact with each other. One of them's going to have a, a job, and one of them's going to have a boyfriend nice. by the end of the film. And I play this narcissistic, um, self-important douchebag called Alex, who just has, like, he has an addiction of the week. So one minute he's got a gambling problem, next minute it's sex addiction, next minute it's drugs. Oh, wow. um, and, it, it, and it's just that kind of... Um, it's just middle class kind of self loathing that he doesn't really have any real problems. So he he's trying to construct drama in his life so that he's a more interesting and edgy actor. Well there are more people um, out there who are like that, who, you know, their their life is actually okay. They create drama for yeah. themselves, so they feel like they ha they're they're important only because you know, so, I mean, yeah, that's very relatable, man. Yeah, it is, it is. And it, you do you meet these people and it's like, dude, life's good, embrace it. And but <laughs> But they're like, oh no, I've got to find problems in every situation. Yeah. Then, then I'll feel more interesting as a human being. Um, and so that's definitely what this guy is, and he he becomes the kind of anti love interest for the the lead actress because she thinks, you know, he's he's the, he's the guy she thinks she wants to be with. Um, but in reality, you know, there's always that 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 that, that better option. So yeah, they're, they're, it's it's a really fun little film, and they're really kind of. I think they 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 make films that are are quite specific to an area, but they resonate um, to everyone because of the themes that they that they put in their films. And so their next one's called Friday Night Drinks, which looks like it, it should be a real hoot too. Um, so yeah, they're a really cool team, and they're doing some really good stuff. Now, is that going to be because I because I, I was trying again, I was trying to research on it uh, at least Juicy because I, I again I've heard of friends uh, uh, friends leaving, but I didn't hear much about Juicy at first. Um, I read yeah. up saying that they were it's part of like a, a, a how do I want to say this? How, how did they how did the, the the reporter word it? They said something like it's part of a trilogy, a Brisbane trilogy, or something like that. Is this like the third part? Friday night drinks is that the third part in this Friday trilogy? night drinks is going to be the third part. Yeah, Very nice. and they're they're currently trying to get that up. And God love these guys. I mean, you, you know, you go from you go from doing these jobs where you paid quite well and put up in hotels and driven around to. All right, Ryan, you got to get yourself to Brisbane. You can stay on Stephen's couch, um, and there'll be there'll be lunch provided on set, uh, and, and a packet of Doritos, and uh, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> you often you often kind of catch yourself at four in the morning standing around some city street where you haven't got clearance to be shooting, and um, there's some poor film student being exploited to hold the boom, and uh, you know, some up and coming cinematographer. Uh, and, and you know what, you, you, I'll be standing there doing that stuff with them thinking this is just as awesome as any other job because it, it, you know, everyone kind of really wants to be here and it's, it's just, it's just fun. And, and, and that's what I think comes across in the, the films that they've, they've made. And I think that's why they've kind of, um, re they've done well in festivals around the world because they kind of sum up what you know, what filmmaking's all about. And also modern day film, you know, the digital realm where it's just easier to get out there and do it. Oh yeah. Now will this be, well, do they, did they shoot those two films uh, in actual film or did celluloid or did they use digital uh, cameras for that? Uh, all my friends were shot on 16 mil okay. and, um, and that was kind of the last thing I think I ever did on film. Oh, like wow. now everything is digital. You know, even fairly legal, we shoot on HD um, on these tiny little red cameras. And it's it's you know we'll shoot we'll shoot scenes on on five D or seven D the Canon SLR cameras. We'll shoot like I mean we we shoot with red cameras, which are proper kind of film cam cameras that mm -hmm. are they not they don't use film, but they use for film. Um, that makes sense. But like the seven Ds and the five Ds look like your dad's old Nikon camera, you know? Oh, wow. And so they'll have a third camera on the roof um, looking down at us. And it's just this tiny little SLR thing. And, the, you know, the, the, the amazing thing about 
the digital kind of era is what used to be an experience instead of, you know, you've got eight guys hold around this beast of a camera and every every five minutes they've got to reload and check the gate um, and put another, you know, reel in or whatever it is that, that pumps the 35 or 16 mil film through. Mm-hmm. These days you walk on set and there's eight guys huddled around this tiny little box <laughs> um, that they're trying their best to add all these lenses onto to give it some kind of presence on set, you know. Yeah. But... It's 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 an it's a it's the first few times I had it. It's a really weird feeling because it's just this tiny little thing now that stares at you. Yet with 1080p, you can blow that up to, oh, you yeah. know, nearly an IMAX screen without it pixelating. Um, so it, it's just it's just making it, it's making filmmaking so much more accessible to so many different people, and that's why well, the sequel the second. The second film, Juicy, they got up and, and just shot on, dig, on digital, and I think it looks as good, if not better, with what they did in post. Well, do you, uh, when you when you do Fairly Legal, I mean, especially then, uh, with, with a bigger, but even bigger or smaller, but um, does it help you uh, with a bigger budget show like, like Fairly Legal compared to Juicy or All My Friends? Um, with that smaller camera, you said it was weird at first, but is it also a little more accessible be, because uh, it, because usually I would, because I, I remember when I see making up specials and everything, the cameras used to be this big hulking thing, unless it's on a crane or something, which makes it even more hulking and huge. So it's it could be very distracting as an actor trying to, you know what I mean, trying to look past the camera at your eye line at something right. on the screen. Being this small, yeah. does it actually help you a little bit more as an actor? Um, I think it's. I think you know maybe twelve years ago when I started out, I found that the the, the presence intimidating, but after a while, it becomes what you work Second towards. Nature. So. Yeah, and you've got to find your camera, and you've got to make it your friend. So, it 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 doesn't necessarily make much of a difference. And and on fairly legal, they have these reds, and the lenses are so big, oh, and the wow. shells that they the shells that they put around them, like in the matte box and all that, it ends up looking like the front of the camera looks like a normal camera, and then it just slowly gets smaller and thinner. Um, <laughs> You know, but it it still it still has quite a presence on set, and so it's not it's not that different when you're working on something like you know a big American TV show. Well, uh, if because uh, uh, I, I mean if Fairly Eagle gets picked up for season three, because I mean you you seem to uh, I'm getting maybe it's just me misreading a little bit, but you seem to really understand a lot about the the filmmaking process uh, or just you know, uh-huh. shooting. Do you want to maybe direct, direct, maybe uh, direct an episode of Fairly Legal, or, or is that something you want to work towards? Or I think it, I think at this stage, being on my first American TV show and the mountain that I feel like it's been to to get through thirteen episodes, taking, uh, taking it easy a little bit. I think I think I'd be kind of getting a bit big for my boots if I went to Peter Rocco and said, "All right, next season I want to direct." I, I, that's not. That's not in in the kind of uh, oh, no, near distant future. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to one day, um, you know, go down the directing path. But uh, yeah, no, at this stage, I'm pretty happy in front of the camera. I'm having a good time there, and the character's so much fun, and there's so much homework to do, just learning all the lines, and you know, getting over the, the, the getting through the kind of emotional arc and and all that sort of thing. That at this stage, I'm 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 happy. Where I am, but one day I'd love to have a have a you know to to go down that. Well, that, I, that I think part, you definitely. sound very well knowledgeable, and so I think you, at least in my opinion, you sound like you're ready. Um, so, well, actually, I'll, I'll I made a web series last year. Oh, did you? Yeah, that I wrote with a friend. Speaking of the digital world, it's called One Step Closer to Home. Okay. Um, and uh, One Step Closer to Home TV. Is the is the uh, is the website? So, you know, my friend directed that, and we started it together, and we had a very small team. Um, but that was a fun experiment in in kind of do-it-yourself filmmaking, definitely, and, and could not be more polar opposite to something like Fairly Legal. So that's that's worth a look. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll put that on the website. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely put that on the website, and I'll check it out myself too. And uh, also try to check out Bulletstorm. I, I'm really, I'm actually very intrigued about Bulletstorm because that sounds yeah. Check it out. Awesome. It's a lot of fun. Well, it's a lot of fun. 
Ryan, uh, they said around eleven fifteen, or well, uh, for me it's one fifteen, but for you it's you know nine fifteen. Uh, you're about ready to probably be on set due, so I don't want to take any more of your time because again, I want to thank you so much for for doing this uh, doing the show. And remember, everyone out there, you can catch Ryan as Ben Grogan on Fairly Legal, which begins at nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the USA Network. Check your local listings for the channel. Thanks, Mike.